0: Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward. And I'm Ron Locke. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Today, Ron Jor and I will be joined by Bobby Jameson to discuss aspiring pastors and the path to becoming a pastor. Bobby Jameson serves as an associate pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. He is the author of numerous books, including The Paradox of Sonship, Christology in the Epistle of Hebrews, and the book we will be discussing today, The Path to Becoming a Pastor A Guide for the Inspiring. Today's conversation was recorded over Zoom, so the quality may be a little different from what you're used to, but it in no way impacts the quality of the conversation. So sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of Pastor Matters. Bobby, I want to thank you again for joining our conversation today on aspiring pastors and the path. Before we get into any questions about your book, I did want to ask if you could just walk us through your own path. Uh, on becoming a pastor. I know you're an associate pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in D.C. So if you could just tell us what your journey was like, uh, and then maybe even tell us a little bit about when you began to aspire to have aspirations for pastoral ministry.
1: Sure. Yeah, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area in California. From a very young age, I got completely immersed in jazz saxophone. So starting in fifth grade, I started playing the sax just in school band. And then my dad had some old jazz tapes and CDs, Dexter Gordon, Charlie Parker, John Coltrane, and I just got hooked. And so I started to copy what they were doing and started to take lessons and started to spend all my free time practicing. And within about three, four years, by the time I'm like 13, 14, I wanted to be a professional musician. And I had a teacher who was helping mentor me in that. So I actually went to college in Southern California uh, to pursue a music degree, thinking I would try to eke out a living as an artist, uh, which is a pretty tough life. But I wanted to do it for love of the music. Uh, went to college in Los Angeles. I was a believer. And, uh, you know, I think I, I think I was converted when I was about 11, grew up in a Christian home, was a believer in college, um, didn't come into college super mature in my faith, uh, but eventually started attending Grace Community Church, kind of the end of my freshman year, beginning of my sophomore year through a friend who went there. And uh, it was hearing John MacArthur preach and the other pastors, Rick Holland was there at the time, others, hearing that preaching, that preaching getting a hold of my heart, changing me, you know, renewing me, showing me a vision of God that was just greater and more glorious than I'd ever seen before. I began to have a desire to preach and teach and do that myself pretty quickly maybe within even a few months of showing up at grace community church and uh by god's grace i had some good mentors who were there kind of part of the campus bible study that was associated with the church um they helped kind of mentor me through early stages of thinking through should that be something i should pursue they gave me opportunities to teach and preach do evangelism on campus lead bible studies preach in our kind of you know campus-wide meeting and so it was kind of my college years were just shifting over practically from 100 percent focus on music to more and more focus on ministry. Uh, I'll kind of speed up after that. I came out to Capitol Hill Baptist where I'm now a pastor here in DC for a pastoral internship. Um, That's full-time, but it's only for a semester. Stuck around for a couple of years here at the church to keep training and growing and learning and built up a very close relationship with CHBC. Uh, They supported me during seminary. I went off to Louisville for four years uh, for an MDiv and a THM at Southern. Wound up doing a doctorate in England Uh, which the church also supported, uh, and eventually came back as an associate pastor. So, you know, from the time I first started seriously thinking about wanting to be a pastor to the time I first started serving full-time in ministry, it was about 11 years, something like that, Mm -hmm. 12 years even maybe. Um, And yeah, I've been serving here at CHBC now for four years. Mm
2: -hmm. You know, that's an interesting uh, journey for you. And and I think it may be a bit of a corrective for several people uh, that are thinking about ministry. I think we have a tendency to say, you know, I want to go to ministry and and we just dive right in. And um, uh, but you said 11 years.
1: Yeah, something like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if a lot of people are thinking 11 year journey, you know, to uh, uh, to ministry. But I'm sure, you know, the Lord was prepping you and using you all along the way.
1: Yeah. And you know, some brothers may well have a kind of quicker path just in terms of their own gifting desire. Also maybe in terms of a church's need that they might be serving in. I'm not trying to lay out my path as any kind of straitjacket, but I've seen lots of other brothers who are very competent, very godly, I think kind of qualified even from early days of that aspiration. I've seen plenty of other brothers have a kind of long and winding path from the first stirrings of that desire to especially landing in a church as the main preaching pastor, lead pastor, senior pastor, whatever you call it. And so even kind of early in my own path, I saw lots of other brothers where it kind of took a while through different seasons of schooling, maybe other kinds of pastoral experience, maybe serving in some other type of staff role or as an elder. And so, yeah, there's a lot of brothers I've seen. The Lord used them very faithfully along the way, but from kind of first inkling of desire to kind of getting where you want to be in the end, so to speak, can be a long and winding process.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, so you've written this book about the path. You've written this book about uh, the uh, the journey, uh, if you will. How did you come to writing the book? Uh, you know, did you uh, did your own journey inspire the book? Were um, were there some things that you noticed that caused you to uh, to want to write the book after kind of observing others and and how uh, how they go about uh, uh, pursuing pastoral ministry?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And in a sense, I think all the things you mentioned played a part. One big ingredient was uh, for me as an associate pastor here at Capitol Hill, one of my main responsibilities is overseeing our internship. And so I interact each semester with the six, seven, eight guys we have who are here full time, who are all aspiring to be pastors. And they're, they're here so we can intensively invest in them with a sort of ecclesiology boot camp for a semester. And they're anything from... 22-year-old guys fresh out of college, to like I was, uh, to, you know, 40-year-old guys who have been in ministry several years and maybe have a sabbatical or they're at kind of a transition point um, and kind of everything in between. Uh, and I was just having, you know seeing them at different stages of that process, having different kinds of conversations. There would just be a lot of common things that would come up. And I started noticing I was having a lot of the same conversations. I started developing kind of my stump speeches I would have with each of these guys. And I thought, ah, oh, you know, eventually it just seemed like there was some material I could usefully gather up into one place. That was one motivation. Uh, another motivation was reflecting on my own experience and just thinking about what what would I try to boil down and put all in one place to say to my 19 year old self. Um, that was definitely part of the motivation, positively. Uh, how do I kind of give some type of guidance from the very first stirrings of that desire to then thinking through even issues like candidating at a church or what type of a church job you maybe should or shouldn't take? Or how do you handle maybe disappointment or frustration if it's not panning out the way you thought? Things like that. And another motivation, um, you know, Ronjur, you mentioned, is there any kind of issue or or spark for it? Another motivation is, the paradigm of pastoral calling as it's often talked about or practiced where the non-negotiable prerequisite is an overwhelming constraining all-consuming desire and that is taken both to be necessary in the sense that you have to have this kind of fire from heaven filling your soul you know if it's Spurgeon's famous line if you can go do anything else go do it which, which, as much as I love and, and have benefited from Spurgeon, I actually take on that quote in the book. I don't think that's exactly the right way or most mm-hmm. helpful way to think about it. So that kind of all-consuming desire is taken to be necessary. And of course, I think a sober desire is an important part of it. Whoever aspires to the work of overseer, First uh, Timothy 3. Not under compulsion, First Peter 5. So that is necessary, but I think you can get ratcheted up too high or too subjectively. But it also that desire can sometimes be taken practically as being sufficient, not only necessary, but sufficient in the sense that if I feel like I have this calling from God, I want to do this. It seemed to come from the Lord that can act as a kind of universal trump card. I know this is from the Lord. I know this is what he wants me to do. I know I'm called to be a pastor. Implicitly, who are you to tell me any different? (laughs) Who are you to get in my way? Who are you to slow me down? Who are you to, to, to put up any kind of roadblock to the hindrance? of that desire and especially during my years in seminary i think i saw a lot of brothers who had some kind of desire to serve the church and some kind of aptitude to serve the church but i think they just hadn't been well served by that calling paradigm there's a lot of pitfalls that i think that paradigm itself sort of pushes men into or can help or it can cause churches to fall into so there's a little bit of a corrective desire too to try to say and again i do go after the language uh, but my fundamental concern is the overall paradigm Are you saying that this is really just down to an internal desire, and if you have it, nobody can stand in the way? Uh, Or does the Bible give us a little more objective paradigm of how you measure up to the requirements of the office? So I am trying to kind of shift the conversation. That mainly comes out in the first chapter, first few chapters. Uh, That's part of the burden for the book.
0: Yeah. So you kind of have spoken to it a little bit, but I do want to keep this discussion going on that first chapter. The very first chapter of the book is titled, Say I Aspire Not I'm Called. Why do you think it's, it's so important to use these terms? Why is it important to ask, am I qualified, instead of just jumping and asking, am I called?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and you're right. That is the burden of the first chapter and kind of the first main section of the book. Uh, the first reason is that it's exactly the language Paul uses in mm-hmm. 1 Timothy 3.1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So he's starting his discussion for the qualifications for the office. Uh, The office is elder, pastor, overseer, three different New Testament terms for the same job description, the same reality. He starts his discussion with aspiration, with desiring it. And then he follows up that kind of starting point. With these qualifications that are fundamentally about character, but also involve leadership, you know, managing your household as a test for caring for shepherding God's church and also ability to teach in 1 Timothy 3.2, which he unpacks in Titus in terms of giving instruction and in sound doctrine and refuting those who contradict it. So he starts from an aspiration. And then he sort of filters that aspiration through these objective qualifications. That's an explicitly biblical paradigm for anybody who wants to be a pastor. Mm. So whatever else we're going to say about the path to becoming a pastor, it should pass through that grid. And I think, uh, you know, I understand some brothers find the language of calling still to be helpful. They talk about an external call and an internal call. I get what they mean. I agree with most of what they're saying. I personally don't think even that calling terminology is actually helpful, but regardless of what you make of the, the wording issue, I think that again, as I mentioned, sometimes that overall paradigm can sort of do an end run around the qualifications. If you have that desire. One of the first conversations you should be asking is, well, how are you making progress in those qualifications? Do we at least see the beginnings of that type of character? And do we at least see the beginnings of that type of competence? So I think talking about aspiration, uh, it's a goal you're striving toward. And it's a goal you're striving toward, not just in the sense of, I would like to have this possession or I would like to attain this status, but it's actually a goal you're striving toward in terms of the kind of person you want to become. So I think framing it as aspiration and then pushing that aspiration through the filter of biblical qualifications keeps you focused on the irreducible necessity of Christ-like character for a pastor. And that's really one of the main focuses of the book.
0: Now, I love how you focus and, and put an emphasis back on the qualification, something just being on a seminary campus, a lot of guys, you don't hear them talking about that. It's it's I'm called, so I'm, I'm here to get equipped for this, but nobody's ever really— sitting down and and thinking through those qualifications. And if they do, they typically only look at, okay, well, I'm a husband of one wife. You know, I'm not a drunkard. They don't ever think about the the sober-mindedness, the ability to to lead your household well, all of those qualifications that are equally important in the life of of a pastor.
1: Yeah, and I think... Um, sometimes a brother might have a sincere desire, might have the beginnings of some of those giftings, but maybe he's not been in a church or been well-known enough in a church where there's been feedback. It's kind of a 360-degree view of his character. Uh, He might not have seen up and close enough kind of the work of pastoral ministry to know just how important those things are. So I do think, you know, in a sense, my posture here throughout the book is assuming that a brother has a real desire for this work. And then asking okay what do you do to stress test that desire what do you do to purify that desire what do you do to make sure it's sober and well informed uh and yeah you know if you if you don't really have that kind of close acquaintance with the pastors of your church or them having that close knowledge of you i can see how you just show up at seminary and not really be thinking about those character issues as much as you should and a seminary as valuable as it is for training in history theology languages uh you know preaching even uh speaking to a professor of preaching here um <laughs> uh, a seminary classroom structure is just not set up to focus on your character The way a local church is so that's another kind of big theme in the book is saying how can you pursue these things in the context of a church how can you get feedback from your church uh ideally throughout this whole process and you know it looks different for different brothers do you move to seminary do you do it online do you keep a job or you know there's all sorts of variables but but your church assessing your character and competence should be a constant in all those variables
2: you know, you actually bring up so many uh, interesting points. I I personally am, am not totally against the, the call language, the vocabulary, as much as I, I think I push back against what you're pushing back against, which is the individualism that's kind of yes. underlying all yeah. of that. So uh, when you look at the Scriptures and you see uh, how God— uh, uh, you know, raises people up for his service, raising people up for ministry. Uh, it is almost always within the context of hum- of a, of a community, and so uh, if anything, he's preparing them for the community, uh, for his people, and for uh, for the task of of serving uh, them. And and you have so many folks that. I think are a little bit more, if I could say this, a little bit more American, a little bit more Western uh, in our understanding of calling. We've, we've kind of Westernized the concept so that it's uh, more of this self-actualization, you know, where I, I sense that God— is telling me that I need to do this and this is who I am. And, and you know, even if I could use the language, this is how I identify myself. And, uh, and and therefore nobody can challenge it or anything like that, because, you know, me and my own, you know, little closet, you know, came up with this con- with this conclusion. Whereas with the uh, scriptures, when you look uh, at the Old Testament, you look at the prophets. Uh, how did you know that a prophet was a prophet? Well, the people tested his word, you know, whether it was true or not. Uh, how did the priests, you know how how were they, you know, uh, how did how did you know that they were the priests? Well, uh, check their family tree. Uh, did they come from Levi? Did they come from uh, from the sons of Aaron? you know uh, and, and and so forth. If you didn't, you weren't a priest, you know, no matter what you felt. Uh, and even with the kings, how did you know that that person was the king? Well, was he anointed, you know, by the prophet, you know, in front of everybody, you know, uh, uh, you know, and and so forth? It was a public, you know, declaration that this person is the king. It was a uh, there's there's this communal uh, vetting, if you will, you know, in terms of the word of the prophet. Uh, and even with the priest, you know, there there's a communal, you know, uh, process there in the uh, uh, in the raising up of priests and so on as well. Uh, and yet, for whatever reason, most of the time. When we talk about uh, pastoring, you know, or, or or any type of vocational ministry uh, in our culture, it tends to be very personalized, very individualized, and and almost entirely devoid of the uh, of the community in the process. And that I think is a uh, as you as you noted is a much bigger issue uh, uh, than uh, than for me at least than the language.
1: Oh, sure. And I agree with you, you and I are seeing the same problem. Uh, and we're seeing the same, you know, big picture practical solution uh, of Yeah, this should be assessed by a local congregation mm-hmm. who, who can see the fruit of your ministry who can speak into your life. And, and uh, there's kind of different thresholds for making different decisions. You know, if you, if you preach one time or teach one class, Well, if you get some good feedback on that, that can be a nice little push in a certain direction, but it doesn't mean quit your job, sell your house, Mm. move 500 miles away to go to Southeastern Seminary, right? Um, And so it's more about a, a sort of direction. Uh, Mm -hmm. Are there people seeing fruit in your ministry? Are there people being helped to grow in the Lord, you know, uh, by you explaining the scriptures to them? It's more about being able to see a certain direction and trajectory. And ultimately, uh, it is a church that calls a pastor. So you want to be able to kind of um, solicit and earn and keep. Uh, the kind of support and endorsement of whatever church you're in to whatever extent that's possible. So, yeah, I'm with you one hundred percent. Those underlying roots, are yeah, that hyper individualism that really is the sort of one of the root spiritual problems
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so so let's say somebody comes into uh, your office, a uh, young guy comes in and says, Pastor, I want to be a pastor. Uh, how would you respond to him? Uh, what 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 ways would you encourage and help him and and maybe I might even add, Are there times where you would discourage him?
1: It's a great question. Uh, You guys have unfairly backed me into a corner just a little bit. (laughs) Because now that I've written this book, uh, I would kind of say, hey, look, I got a book for you to read. (laughs) (laughs) Shameless plug. (laughs) But, But I and I hate to do that. It just happens that I was the one to write it. But, but no, I mean, it does, I, I mean for this to provide a kind of framework that can help somebody think through this, and honestly, I this happened with a brother in my church who is in a totally different career, he only has the kind of faintest inkling, maybe this is something he would like uh, to pursue, he, he's he been reading the book and just finding it very helpful for thinking about how do I grow spiritually, how do I uh, pursue some greater involvement in the church, and what can I, how can I grow toward leadership in the church, kind of regardless of what that long-term decision is, so frankly, I do think I would use my own book uh, in discipling the guy, but moving on from that um i would start asking some questions about all right what is it you desire about the work what appeals to you uh what experiences have you had so far that would give you even a taste whether it's just mentoring somebody one-on-one leading a small group where you're opening up the bible maybe giving an evangelistic talk somewhere kind of what have you done so far that's in that direction um Can you point me to anybody who's benefited from your ministry? Who are you pouring into right now, just relationally, on a regular basis? Uh, Who are some brothers in the church uh, that you're trying to help grow in the Lord, maybe through reading scripture and praying together? Uh, Talk to me about your relationships in the church. Who who have you gotten to know that's a little bit unlike you? Maybe if you're a 25-year-old guy, is there any 55-year-old woman that you have particularly been able to encourage? Uh, or just know how she's doing spiritually, seek her out at church, find out any ways you can meet her needs. So I'm going to want to ask him about what his church involvement is like, what his personal discipling ministry is like. Uh, I'm going to ask him about how is he studying scripture and growing in his knowledge of scripture. Um, And I think if there's good signs in terms of that character, good signs in terms of his scriptural knowledge, good signs, frankly, just in terms of being a solid, sturdy, dependable church member, the kind of person who's always there, the kind of person who if I think, oh, there's this brand new person, they're a visitor, they don't know anybody, I know that I can stick blank on him or her to help them connect with the church. They're the kind of person who can follow up, who can help that person, who can just, yeah, be a little bit of a spiritual guide and mentor to them. If there's even the beginnings of good signs on that front, I'll probably want to begin thinking about, okay, what are some ways uh, we could incorporate that brother into a few more formal opportunities? So I think one, one decision our church has made quite deliberately is to try to multiply the number of teaching slots we need to fill For instance, adult Sunday school, we have five or six classes always going at any given time, which means we always need a lot of teachers and people move away and they get busy. So we always need a lot of new teachers. So if there's somebody who has that kind of inkling toward ministry, they probably won't have to wait around too long before getting at least a few reps. Uh, And so that would be one small thing. It's not getting them in on a Sunday morning, Uh, you know, there's a bit more competition for who's going to be preaching on a Sunday morning. But yeah, some smaller, you know, could be teaching an adult Sunday school class, maybe a Sunday evening devotional, you know, maybe a few more public opportunities, see how they respond to those see how they do. And then honestly, just try to kind of start a conversation where I'm getting to know them I'm trying to speak into their life hopefully they can maybe see me in the context of my family a little bit uh, where they can ju- where we can just expose different issues that'll be important to talk about sexual purity, family leadership, church membership, uh, all kinds of stuff like that and just kind of start a conversation.
0: That's helpful. So we've talked a little bit about how guys who aspire to pastoral ministry can prepare themselves. Uh, what about guys who are already married and might, might have kids? How can they prepare their families? Uh, along the path to becoming a pastor?
1: I think the first thing I would just want to say is by leading, shepherding and serving them well, Mm -hmm. it can be a real kind of deceptive temptation to think that, you know, whatever my sort of aspiration or ambition is, the thing I have to do is sort of aim at and get them on board. And that's Mm -hmm. the goal. Whereas I think actually, the, the better you shepherd them, the more you sacrificially serve them, the more you love your wife as Christ loves the church, the more you raise your children in the discipline and nurture of the Lord, the, the better prepared you'll be to prepare that, uh, to pursue that aspiration, and the better prepared they'll be because they benefit from your spiritual leadership. They see you serving them. And okay, you're, what, what you do with us is what you want to go do with more other people. Okay, we get that, we see that. Um, so i would i would double down on serving shepherding encouraging and frankly spiritually leading leading in things like family worship reading the bible together praying together training and catechizing your kids uh would be important uh practices and then yeah there's um every brother's circumstances and situation are going to be different uh but i think in terms of trying to prepare you know let's say you've got some normal stable job as a high school teacher or engineer or whatever it is I think if you can you know, open up a conversation with, uh, with a pastor of your own local church. Uh, if you could talk to friends who have walked a little bit farther down that path, you know, because I think there can be a lot of uncertainty. For instance, my own wife, uh, she had a kind of very stereotypical view of what it means to be a pastor's wife. <laughs> that was kind of intimidating. Am I supposed to play the piano, sing the solo, cook the meal for the fellowship afterward, and have perfect kids all sitting perfectly dressed on the front row? That, those kind of stereotypes are very intimidating. And I think, you know, in some church contexts, that really is the expectation. you got to look out. you got to be careful. But I think especially if you can uh, learn from other people's experiences who have gone ahead of you, that can help, you know, give an inside look, help maybe uh, unplug certain stereotypes or expectations that aren't always the case, just so that it doesn't seem like a black box. Uh, Yeah, how to do that is going to be different in every circumstance. Uh, But helping her, especially thinking about your wife, helping your wife see Mm -hmm. practically what it might look like. I think will be an important part of that.
2: Mm, It's really good. Really good. So for any guys who are on the path and they're listening to this right now, listening to our conversation, uh, what what words of encouragement would you give them Uh, and, and think any any stage on the path, whether they're right at the beginning or whether they're in the middle and. You know, they're they're kind of wondering, you know, uh, uh, am I on the right path? You know, it it doesn't look like I'm getting any closer to a local church or or anything like that, Uh, wherever they are on the path. uh, How how could you uh, encourage them?
1: Uh, yeah. One thing that comes to mind, I'm not going to remember the exact quote. Uh, my kids are just starting up the school year. My wife was reading this poem that our youngest, uh, who's in school is supposed to memorize. I can't remember the exact wording, but it was basically about how our call is to obey the Lord and serve him faithfully. And it was something like he alone, something like, uh, what is great and what is small? He alone can tell something like that. Mm -hmm. Meaning it's not our job to try to assess how big is the thing God has for us or, you know, this doesn't feel big enough and I want more. Our job is always faithfulness and to leave that evaluative judgment in the hand of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Whether that's just wishing for more preaching or teaching opportunities, wishing to serve in the spotlight a little bit more, wishing you could get out of your full-time job that you're sort of sick of and feels repetitive, wishing you could give yourself full-time to the work of ministry. I mean, there's always something more or bigger that you could be aiming at and hungering for. And I think uh, to fundamentally devote yourself to knowing, knowing the Lord and cherishing the Lord and growing and worshiping Him and being satisfied in Him. As George Mueller put it, getting your soul happy in Christ each day. That's just a fundamental baseline for contentment and whatever you're striving for. And then, even uh, trying to just look for opportunities to serve the Lord and do spiritual good to people, however big or small they might look from a kind of fleshly point of view. Uh, if you are seeking out people to do them spiritual good through looking for ways to know the Bible and teach others the Bible. Uh, Do those things, be cheerful in them, pray for the Lord to bring good fruit from them, and trust that he will sort of multiply and open up doors as he sees fit to. You know, so even for me personally, I love the role I serve in. I'm so thankful for it. Part of me wishes I was preaching all the time. I preach about a quarter of the time, you know, and I have to wrestle. I have to wrestle through just that limit on my role here. Mark's a senior pastor. He preaches a majority of the time. It's my job to preach about a quarter. That's what I got right now. That's the piece of the pie. <laughs> There's only so much I can do about that. And so I wrestle and pray for contentment and patience. And uh, yeah, I would encourage you just where, wherever you're at, you could always want more. And so the key is, uh, oh, as Augustine put it in one of his sermons on the Psalms, uh, when the Lord withholds what we are asking for from him, it's so that he can give us more of himself.
0: Mm.
1: So look out for the Lord to satisfy you by giving you more of himself, uh, and whatever thing he's withholding from your, your immediate desires, keep praying for those things, seeking them, but it's an opportunity for God to give you more of him and for you to be satisfied in Him when you're not getting that that prize you're striving for, even when that prize you're striving for is more service of Him.
0: That's a good word, brother. Well, we want to thank you again for for joining us with this conversation. If you're a pastor, I just want to recommend getting this book, The Path to Becoming a Pastor, A Guide uh, for the Aspiring. This is a good book for you to have on your bookshelf for guys that you may encounter that, that begin to have these aspirations uh, to use as a resource. Maybe you're a guy right now listening Uh, and you've begun to experience some of these desires, this book will definitely be a valuable resource for you uh, for the years to come. Brother, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you both for having me. Absolutely.
0: We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found this conversation helpful in any way, consider leaving us a review and a five-star rating. We would love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give us. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors and aspiring pastors, and I hope we have done that today with our
2: conversation. And as always, brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.